0: book of Malachi, chapter 2 going into chapter 3. So last night the uh, students were here and Friday night they were here. And this place was torn apart, and there were boulders in here, and uh, little people with guns <clears throat> shooting little pellets, I don't know, larger than corn puffs or whatever, I don't know, they're about that size. And uh, I tested the weapons uh, this week to see if they were any good, <clears throat> so I bent over and let them shoot me at 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 their... Uh, the leaders, so David and uh, a few others were shooting me, and uh, it didn't hurt that bad. <coughs> but I had jeans on, <laughs> uh, so those who were wearing t-shirts last night probably have marks all over their body. But hey, whatever. Uh, we had a good time, and uh, uh, I'm sure that uh, uh, parents were thankful they could drop their kids off, even though they came home looking like they'd been in a battle. But uh, that's that's great. I think we had. Uh, 20-some students on grades 4, 5, and 6, is that right? And then we had 30-plus students last night, and uh, that's great. And they didn't just get shot. I mean, they didn't just shoot each other, just so you know. I mean, they heard the Word of God and uh, had a great time together. So that's neat. <clears throat> Thank you for all of you who did that. And then you had to reset the whole church up, put all the stuff back on the walls. Uh, you did pretty good. I didn't see anything missing today, so that's great. <clears throat> I was concerned. At any rate, uh, Malachi, we were in Malachi last week. I'm going to repeat some things just to uh, try to invest a little more time today, but we're going to start off back in ja- at verse 17 of chapter 2. That's where I kind of was in on Sunday last time. And I just want to uh, try to uh, remind us, as you go through this text, which can sound sometimes very dismal, very dark. This is not a happy, bubbly, positive sermon. None of them have been, I'm sorry, but uh, the book of Malachi is uh, God's last final call to Old Testament saints to get right with God. Uh, And it's the last time God gives an invitation Uh, In the Old Testament, and so it's an important text for that reason. This all was taking place during the time of Nehemiah. So when you read the book of Nehemiah and you read about what was taking place, many of the details are behind the scenes in this text as this prophet is addressing some of those issues. The worst part of the issues he was addressing were those in leadership, those who were God's priests, who were living against God, many of them were, and uh, uh, violating God's holiness, his laws, uh, uh, just uh, uh, living phony lives, uh, coming before God with their own uh, uh, sacrifices, with hypocritical hearts. And so much of that is being addressed. Uh, But these things all pertain to God's people, and many of these things pertain to us as well. So we'll try to draw the analogy. So he uh, gives the fourth, uh, sort of lays the fourth statement from God and the fourth question that comes back to God in verse 17. God says, you have wearied the Lord, Malachi speaking, but you have wearied the Lord with your words. And then the response is, yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? It's a very sarcastic response. And so the word comes back in that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them, or, or, or also, where is the God of justice? And so uh, they were accusing God, basically, of giving his favor and his blessing to the enemies of Israel, uh, all who were doing, in Israel's mind, evil. Uh, and, and they were saying that God delighted in his enemies and preferred them over Israel, and so on. Uh, they were supposed to be God's favored people, and so they're complaining that they didn't feel like that was happening at all. And it is true that uh, if you read the account in, in, uh, in, in the, in the, earlier in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, there was much struggle because there were enemies all around Jerusalem who were uh, oftentimes just coming in and taking whatever they wanted, uh, mocking the Jews. The Jews had to build walls, as you recall, uh, that was Nehemiah's job. Uh, the, the walls were being built. And once the walls were built and the gates were put in and it was finished, uh, it wasn't so bad. But that uh, still had, there were many enemies who had not been dealt with. And so they were complaining. They were struggling. It was not easy. So with that in mind, uh, I want to say that their trouble was not caused by God's blessing their enemies. That was not why they were having trouble. They were having trouble because they continued in their sin. And as they continued in their sin and defiling all that was holy, that was God's. That's why they were having trouble. And so uh, when they ask the hypocritical question, where is the God of justice? Malachi answers them in verse one of chapter three. And this description that's given here, and I could sum it up in. In this phrase, uh, here's, here's Malachi saying, behold, he's on his way. Uh, he's coming. So he says specifically, I send my messenger. And now this is not Malachi's voice. This is actually God speaking. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says, The Lord of hosts. This description is God's divine response, really, to the hypocrisy of God's own people as He tells them He is coming. And He's basically saying to these priests, Yes, I'm coming. Even to the temple, uh, I'm going to come. Even where you're supposed to be serving me in a holy way, Yes, I'm coming. Uh, and so that's what's going to be happening. You can almost hear God saying, you want the, uh, maybe Malachi said this, but you really want the God of justice to show up. You really want him to come. You know, uh, uh, you can just hear this. Oh, by the way, uh, uh, he's coming straight for, to his temple and he's going to deal with everyone who has dealt unrighteously at his temple, at his altar. Uh, that's what he's coming to do. Uh, the, the prophet Amos made a statement about this in chapter 5, verse 18. And here's what Amos had to say about God's coming in the day of the Lord. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, if you're a guy, you've certainly probably used it at some point in your life. But have you ever said to a brother or to another person at school I'm going to punch your lights out have you ever i'm sure some of you've heard that uh I've probably said that many a time uh in my life, and uh I haven't said it since I got in the ministry but i've I've thought it <laughs> just <laughs> might as well just just be honest with you uh sometimes that happens uh but in the context of this statement that Amos makes that we just kind of uh, tried to uh, state here, it, it's, it's, it's a sad event that there are those who are going to have their lights removed, their lights out, if you will, when God returns. There are times when, you know, something goes wrong and you just want to, you just want to, and, and it's our flesh, you get behind somebody who's driving really slow and you're in a big hurry. And have you ever just thought, I just want to move them out of the way? I just want them to be gone. Sure you've said that. Well, if you ever watch Home Alone and he uh, says, I want my family to disappear. And they do. And that's the theme of the movie. Uh, and so sometimes we want that. Uh, and and that can sound silly. But what Amos is talking about is serious. Now, uh, I, uh, I can recall watching the Willy Wonka, whatever, with my kids when they were little. The Willy Wonka taking the the Willy Wonka tour because they got the the, the ticket that uh, and this this special ticket they're going to receive at the end of the tour. And while they're going through the tour, if you parents have ever watched this, as they're going through, uh, uh, many of them break the rules. If you break a rule, you can't get the ticket at the end. And so as, as they broke the rules, they just disappeared, you know, and they wound up getting booted out of the tour, of course. And the one special child makes it through and gets to inherit the actual Willy Wonka factory. And yeah, we're all happy about that. But somehow that's not how it's going to be when Jesus Christ returns. It's not going to be us just disappearing or just, you know, just sort of uh, in a vapor. We just kind of disappear and life goes on. And uh, that's not what it's called. And so he's going to describe to us some interesting uh, ideas here. And I want to go through these very carefully today. And to set the stage, let me just remind you of a person that I saw on YouTube. Some of you may not know who it is, but his name is Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson's Canadian. He's uh, been around a long time. Uh, Jordan Peterson is a a psychologist, author, debater, uh, a very intellectual person. Um, He has three and a half million plus subscribers. So he's well known. And through the years, he's been an atheist. Then he's shifted to being kind of agnostic. And uh, 30 days ago or so, he came out with a blog that said, this is my journey to God. And uh, in this interesting blog, which you might want to listen to, because he cries as he contemplates loved ones and people in general who face judgment and hell and fire. I don't know that he's saved. I wouldn't say that yet, but he's trying to find the truth in the universe and he's finally boiled it down to there is a God. Uh, he's reading the Bible and he's realizing there must be a judgment and he's dealing with all these things that are terms that he's always, he's always hated and suddenly he's being turned around by these things and I'm thrilled for that. But as he does this, I was just struck by the emotions of someone who's, who's talking about Judgment Day and talking in tears, and he's talking to you and I as we watch his blog. And I'm thinking, he has more emotion about the end result of people who are outside of Christ than sometimes I do. And it just struck me this week how we can so quickly forget what that means. Here in our text, as he's responding to the sarcastic question of these hypocritical priests, and he says, I'm going to send my messenger, God suddenly speaking now in the first person. And uh, that's an interesting thing. So in verses 1 through 6 in our text in chapter 3, you have these references to both Christ's first advent and his second advent in the same text. And uh, you know, Malachi and Isaiah are the only two Old Testament writers who who say anything about the, as we see in the in verse one, the messenger who will prepare the way before me. And so uh, the Lord actually takes a portion of verse one and quotes it, uh, referring to John the Baptist, uh, as we see 400 years later when Jesus comes and he's now an adult and he talks about the one who goes before him. And so he quotes from this text. Uh, I said uh, the last time we were together that the word Malachi, the name Malachi, Malachi, it means messenger. So, you know, if I was Malachi and my name meant messenger of God and I have God telling me to write these things down, I would probably think that I'm the messenger. Uh, The Lord must be coming right on the heels of what I'm saying. Uh, but somehow Malachi Malachi must have known that wasn't the case. You can imagine, as I said last time, these priests who had been living so hypocritically, you would think they would be listening and saying, oh, wow, uh, uh, if if Malachi, the messenger, is giving this word, uh, the Messiah must be coming very soon. We better shape up, but that wasn't happening in that sense. Another thing just to observe here in this uh, reading is because it's in the first person possessive here, you have just this interesting unfolding here of I uh, speaking. I I send my messenger. Uh, He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, Anon from uh, Adon, from Adonai, and the Lord, uh, when you put when you put the the before that, you have the Lord, which is a reference for God, whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of his covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So you have two people being identified in this text. It's a great place to take someone when someone says Jesus is not God, because it's Jesus speaking. It's the pre-incarnate Christ who's talking here. And as he's sort of interrupting Malachi and he's speaking out here, behold, I send my messenger preparing the way before me. And uh, that's kind of interesting. Then you have the last part. He is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So you have both uh, father and son here interchangeably speaking. Uh, it's, it's just interesting to, to read that and realize how powerful this is. No wonder at the end of that uh, statement is verse two, the first part of verse two. Two questions pop up here. Now, verse one is the first advent of Christ. It's talking about the first advent. When Jesus came as a baby, uh, lived a perfect life, uh, went to the cross for you and I, gave his life on that cross, shed his blood, calls us to him after he resurrected from the dead, Uh, we then place our faith in him and we follow him as all of us have done, as the church of Jesus Christ has done through the centuries. That's all wrapped up really in that first sense of verse one. Verse one has to happen in your life. It has to happen that he has come. Uh, He's going to come to his temple that took place. He's the messenger of the covenant. The covenant is that which allows us to have his blood shed for us. Uh, He is coming uh, through his grace He is coming. He did come as the lamb who gave his life for the world, for the sins of the world. He's done that. So that's great. But verse 2 shifts gears and really becomes an introduction to his second advent. All in just just a moment of time here. One verse he's talking about his life and his coming and the reason why he's coming. And the first advent of Christ has to happen for verse 2 uh, for us to even understand it and 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 respond to the questions that are given there, he says. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? Well, suddenly that's changing the tone of why this one is coming, and we can just sense that he's going to go on and give us a, a clear sense that this is talking about a whole different time frame. Very interesting. Who is coming? The Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. That's what Jesus says when he talks about the messenger who will pave the way for me, the forerunner. Uh, The forerunner then declared this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So we know that verse 1 is talking about that. But then verse 2 just shifts gears and sounds so interestingly different. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? And I want to just uh, remind us that uh, as we look at this this morning and as you sort of dial in, there's a word here for us that's very current and relative to our lives. And there's also a strong word here for those who are listening in that day uh, who are being addressed in this text. You'll see uh, down in verse 3, uh, he, will be, uh, he, he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. So we're still talking about the priesthood and all those who follow Levi, Uh, who are going to be involved in this as well. But certainly the text is going to be about us, as we'll see in just a moment. John, the writer John, answers these two questions or begins to in chapter 5 of John at verse 28. And I'm going to just open this up to this and then move ahead. But in John 5, verse 28, he talks about the end time when this one who's going to come, uh, who's going to come as a refiner uh, into our lives. Here's what he says about that final day. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves, it goes on, will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Uh, Malachi knew that after God had made the point of declaring again that it's him, the, the very end phrase of verse uh, one says the Lord of hosts. I've, I keep saying that, keep saying that, because please don't forget in your life this week and next week. And as you live every day that you're living under the, the, the sight and the governing of the Lord of hosts. I am. I belong to Jesus. Uh, but there's this Lord of hosts, the God almighty, who is uh, sovereign over all things, who also is watching and seeing and working in our lives through his son. And so that's very true for us. So he's just saying that uh, in light of that, who can stand before his presence? Who can endure the day he comes? Uh, And that's why he's saying that. He wants this Old Testament mindset to understand uh, who is who's dealing with them. And they still don't seem to be responding to that truth. And here is the Lord of hosts talking about this other one who's going to come, the one that they would have called the Messiah. It doesn't say that in the text, but that's what it means. So we have this interesting uh, idea of the one who's going to come, and and it sounds as though he's coming in great power, great authority, confrontively, and that's true. So as we uh, kind of think about this, I want to just take us to one more text. It's in Matthew 25. You're going to go to Matthew 25 and read this with me because it's so important for the text. In Matthew 25, uh, there's... Two things that are going to happen. These are two possibilities that are going to happen when the Lord comes as judge, when he comes in his righteousness. And this is why who can stand before him, who can endure the day of his appearing? uh, Two things are going to take place. And Matthew 25 describes this event. Now we go to verse 31, start there. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, and by the way, this is the hosts that follow the Lord, of the, the Lord of hosts. When the whole angel's with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set, them, he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right hand, and here's the first thing that we see as a possibility uh, in that day. And it's just an invitation. And here's the invitation Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. It's an invitation. The second thing that you'll see is a rejection. It's over in verse uh, 41. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, "Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels." We don't often, uh, we don't often preach about hell. We do, but we just only when it typically comes up for a reason. And here we are today, looking into this day that's going to come. And uh, in that day that comes, it's going to be a very serious time because it's going to be a day of judgment. One crowd's going to be invited to come into the presence of God. Another crowd is going to be rejected, cast aside, and sent into everlasting fire. Not my words, God's. And uh, that's why I was caught up this week by watching that blog, being reminded that Here's a fellow who's just uh, trying to grapple with these deep things. And uh, somehow he's come to realize this must be true. I don't know what uh, path he took to get to that deduction, but the fact that he's weeping over those who will be cast away by God. We're living in this, we're going to see this in just a moment, but we're living in this time of grace. You and I have the chance to know who Jesus is, to know of his love for us, to know how much he cares for us through his own death for us on the cross. Uh, We uh, who have this one who calls us to himself, who invites us into his presence, who wants us to be brother and sister with him. Uh, We have this uh, wonderful relationship with Christ that we have learned. But that day is coming to a close when he will come as king of kings, lord of lords, and judge of all the nations. That that is coming. Uh, That doesn't get an amen because it sounds... Horrendous. But it's happening. Uh, You do believe that? Okay. It's not a pleasant thought, especially if you have loved ones and friends that will see that day come. The thing of it is, is that, as we go back to our text in Malachi, what's happening is that only those who are invited can stand before his presence. So when it says here, but who can endure the day of his coming? It's only those who have the invitation. Uh, The fact is that uh, only the person who can stand when he appears is the one who has recognized that he has called me out of sin by his grace, by his goodness, and has called me to place faith in him, and to really obey his word. I'm identified by those things that tell me that I belong to him and then I'm invited into his presence. Verse two and three of our text in Malachi say, but who can endure, who can stand? Then it goes on to say, for he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that, here's the reason why, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. So something's happening here that's very interesting. First of all, there's this judgment event day coming. Uh, He's either inviting or he's rejecting. But this rest of this text seems to have another point to it because he's going to spare uh, at least he's offering this sparing to those who are even listening to his word right in this text. He's going to purify the sons of Levi? He's going to purge them? So what is that all about? I want you to, uh, to just turn back a couple of pages to Zechariah, if you would, chapter 12. <clears throat> Let me point out in this passage, uh, as you just kind of look through this, to try to give you some context. But in chapter 12, uh, you'll see a phrase. There's a phrase that pops up a lot in chapter 12. And here's here's what it is. You'll see it. It's verse in verse 3. In that day. uh, You'll see it in verse 4. In that day, at the beginning. You'll see it in verse 6. In that day. You'll see it in verse 8, twice. In that day, at the beginning of the verse, and then halfway through. In that day, uh, shall be like David, and so on, says. Uh, You'll see in verse 9. In that day. Uh, you'll see in verse eleven. In that day, if you go through verse uh, chapter thirteen, you'll see it up here again and again. You'll see in chapter fourteen again and again. So there's a context that is is here that's important for us. That there is a future day. Uh, how do I know it's future? Well, uh, I'll give you just a, a key thought here in verse uh, in verse eight and verse nine uh, of chapter twelve. In that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The one who is feeble among them in that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. There's a day coming when the world is going to go after Jerusalem, and in that day, God's going to defend Jerusalem. That's what it's saying. Now, I'm not uh, here to talk about eschatology today, but I want you to see the context, which goes back to Malachi's text. And so as he's talking, go to, if you look at chapter 13 in, in Zechariah, look at verse uh, 8 and 9, because who is he talking about that's uh, going to experience, oh, I want to see, I, I skipped over this, I want to see verse 10 of chapter 12. It's so important to catch this. I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, this is Zechariah 12:10 the spirit of grace and supplication, then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day, there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem. So during this event of in that day when God comes, he's going to do something very special. It says he's going to pour his grace on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, his spirit of grace and his spirit of supplication. That's something God's going to do in that day. We'll see more of that to explain it, but that's something God's going to do. He's going to pour his spirit of grace and supplication on people's lives in that day, whatever that day is. I'm saying it's judgment time. But this is something that he's already done with me and with most of you. He has poured his grace on your life, at some point in your time, when you recognize Jesus to be the Son of God, the Savior, uh, the one who has died for your sin, that was the act of God pouring his spirit of grace on you so you would understand that. Uh, The spirit of supplication is then God stirring you to respond to that truth by repenting of your sin and calling on him as Lord and Savior. That happened to you if you're a follower of Christ. He's done that for us as a very special blessing. But he's going to do it for his Jewish remnant on this particular day in the very same way. He's going to, in a moment of time, they're going to recognize who he is by his revelation, and they're going to call on him through supplication and ask for forgiveness, which is great. Look at Then we go to chapter 13 and see again who this is he's talking about. Still in that day, uh, uh, we have uh, in verse 8, it shall come to pass... In all the land, this is the land of Israel, says the Lord that two thirds in it shall be cut off and die. But one third shall be left in it. And I will bring the one third through the fire. Notice what it says. I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them and I will say, this is my people. And each one will say, the Lord is my God. There's a day coming in that day when God is going to spare one third of the nation of Israel. He's going to then pour his spirit of grace and supplication on them. And he's going to then sift them, if you will, through fire to test the genuineness of their decision. Are you with me? Or did I lose you? He's already done that with you and I. He's already poured his spirit upon our lives those of us who have recognized that and we chose to follow him through our own calling on him asking God to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness which he has done and praise God for that now I wanted to uh, do this because it's sort of uh, keeping in context with what has been said here as we go back to our text in Malachi because Malachi is identifying here to these uh, sinful priests. When he asks the question, who can endure and who can stand? He knows that many of those who would be listening to his prophecy here do not qualify. Though they're wearing righteous robes in the sense that on the outside they look good, they are not qualifiers to stand and to endure. So when he says he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap, he's giving a statement that many of these probably in some way know what he's saying. Uh, And so let me try to help you understand what he is saying. This refiner's fire is a description of how God deals with us in our faith and how God's looking at these folks who are acting like they're following him when they're really not. I, I just want to give you some scriptures here. In First Peter chapter 1, Peter writes about this idea of God's uh, refining fire. And he's talking about those of us who have genuine faith in verse 7 of First Peter chapter 1, verse 7. Uh, he talks about our genuine faith. Uh, that And he says, this genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having seen you, you love. Who having not seen, you love. There's a sense from even Peter saying that some folks, not everyone, will be tested like this in a refiner's fire where they may have to go through something very serious in their lives to test and challenge our faith. Uh, certainly these who are at the end of time in that day we just read are certainly going to be tested as God does this work in their lives, but they're still going to go through a fire and be tested who can endure. Well, those who uh, have had the refiner's fire over their life and has revealed uh, that their faith is genuine. Let me give you one more. That's interesting. This idea of launderer. soap. this is how God cleans us. I, I don't know if you, uh, Uh, have a King James with you, not an old King James, but the word is Fullard's Soap. That's the actual name. So, you know, back in the, a century back, at the beginning of a century, maybe even to the end of the 18th, I can't remember when it started, but Fullard Brush Company, which came out, Fullard's Soap was one of their ads that they could clean you up better than any other soap, you know. They thought that, because they used the Bible word, that would work. (laughs) Uh, Well, that's not true. In fact, uh, If you were to uh, look in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 22, you would read the following. Jeremiah 2, verse 22 says this. For though you wash yourself with lye, now none of us does that. (laughs) Does anybody wash with lye? I don't even know what a lye is. I remember a little bar that my mom would buy at the grocery store of lye. I never knew what it was for. I really don't care. But I'm reading here that it has something to do with cleaning. So, uh, They would uh, clean their clothes with lye. For though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, yet your iniquity is stained before me, says the Lord God. Malachi is talking about a kind of cleansing that far surpasses what Jeremiah is referring to. Jeremiah is talking about, first of all, the priests who did all the Uh, slaughtering of the animals and so on, had blood all over their their skin and all over their clothes. And they would use uh, a special uh, soap, Uh, in this case a launderer's soap, if you will, something strong enough to get the stain of blood out of their clothes and off their skin. And here's Jeremiah saying that uh, those of you who try to wash yourself doing that with much soap, your iniquity is still there, it's still stained before me. You can't wash off your sin by yourself. But a lot of people are trying. A lot of people are trying. They don't like the one way, so they have their alternate ways. And so it works, doing all kinds of things, trying to look good, try to act good, try to be moral on your own, try to try to, uh, you know, I'll, I'll put more in the offering plate. I'll, I'll be more faithful if I show up for church or whatever. I mean, there's all kinds, of, I'll serve the community. There's all kinds of ways that people might say they're trying to make themselves look cleaner. But here's, here's the, the prophet Jeremiah saying, and quoting God by saying, your iniquity is stained before me because you're trying to wash yourself. You can't do that. So Malachi is referring here to, God being the refiner's fire, and he is like a launderer's soap. If he cleans you, there is no stain left. If you want to know uh, to the extent of that, I would say, uh, First uh, we, we quote First 1 John 1, nine. You probably heard it already this morning. I wasn't in here. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The stain is gone. Here, here's, a, here's an analogy of that in Mark 9, verse 3, during the transfiguration. Uh, Jesus uh, is, uh, appears as, in this brilliance uh, that is described by uh, his followers. And Mark says it this way. His clothes became exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Mark knew that this is so far beyond anything I've ever seen. The priests don't have clothes this brilliant. Whatever that is, what is happening to him is unbelievable. And he's trying to describe it to us in ways that they would have understood in the day that they lived. But we, you and I, we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ on our lives and in our lives when we gave our lives to him. This is what is required to endure or to stand before his presence. Thank God for that. Amen. Then it says in our text back in Malachi that he will sit, verse 3, he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. I'm not going to use it, but there's a reference in Matthew twenty-five, thirty-one. Again, I already read there, but just the fact that he's going to sit as judge. And uh, so there's kind of this uh, symbolism here that we, we many people don't see Jesus as a judge, but he is going to sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And then it goes on to say he will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. And this is really symbolic of what Jesus has done for all of us and what he's doing with these as he, as he processes their faith. And he's seeing that all that, in their lives is now removed, and they are pure before him, and why verse and verse three, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness i couldn 't let this go. we have to remind ourselves, why did Jesus save you? Why did Jesus give you his spirit to reveal who he is and call you to himself and invite you into his presence and save you from your sin and give you a sense of security in heaven and call you his sons and daughters. And and why has he done that for us? And it's the same answer. It's the very same answer. Why that they, you and I, may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. This coincides exactly with what Paul was trying to say in Romans 12, verse 1. When he said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to me, which is your reasonable cause. Uh, when we understand that that's really in the same way, the same kind of thing that's happening here. He wants, uh, he wants a people who will love him and praise him and, and lift him high and worship him with a pure heart and a holiness about our lives. That's what he wants. And so he's done that in our lives. And when we come to that day, you and I will already be having been cleansed by him, but this crowd comes before him and he's going to clean them in the very same way that they may also join us and offer him praise and glory and honor. It's pretty amazing what he's going to do. He says in verse four, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord because it's not pleasant now. In the text that we're looking at, it's not pleasant now. It's been contaminated by hypocrisy. Those who try to look good on the outside, uh, those who are self-righteous, uh, you know, pious, uh, obnoxious uh, leaders who are supposed to be leading the people and they're not leading anyone in a right way. But here he's saying this is what he's going to do so that this crowd will be able to offer to him that which is pleasant in his sight. Now he goes on and says, as in the days of old. Now, what he's saying is that there was a time. (laughs) If he could go back and talk about the priesthood when he initiated the priesthood through Aaron, and then those who came right behind him, Eliezer, others who came behind him, who were good priests, who were faithful to him. And what he's simply saying there is that uh, this will go back like in those days Uh, You think about the long list of those who followed God and we see them recorded in Hebrews chapter 11. There were so many who followed him who were right in their heart by faith and who also lived according to the law. And those who were then placed in the book uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, not by name so much as by actions, those who followed him. You and I uh, perhaps also appear in a sense on the pages of the Bible in that text. I don't know. Maybe I hope you do. The point is that There are those who do love God, who have been faithful to God, and he wants to return to that heart that wants to offer a pure heart to him. I hope you hear that today because he's calling people today to the very same thing. He's calling Christians. Evaluate your heart because the one who is, the one you're you're standing before even in your life today is like a refiner's fire. He, He wants to keep you clean as a one who has laundered soap. He, he wants to refine you and purify you and purge those things out of our lives so we're always pure before him. Notice it says here in verse 5, And I will come near you for judgment. I will be swift uh, against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, against those who turn away an alien. Because, why? Because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. I'm going to come near you for judgment. Jesus is not going to be this distant idea that's out somewhere else. He's coming here in the flesh and he's coming to invite us to him and judge and cast out all those who do not follow him. Verse 6, he t- he's wanting to remind us here of his unchangeableness. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so Lamentations 3.22 is one of those verses that we can claim this morning, as we know. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because of his compassions. Uh, that fail not they are new every morning great is your faithfulness amen so we wrap this thing up in verse 7 in verse 7 he says yet from the days of your fathers now going back to these guys yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances you have not kept them and here's the last invitation in the word of God in the old testament Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? There's the fifth question out of seven that I talked about earlier. It's a sarcastic response. Let me just remind us that uh, when he says return to me and I will return to you, it's, it's God's grace, even in this blistering text of what God's going to do. He's still throwing his grace out. Even this morning uh, as I'm speaking, the Lord is still casting his grace uh, into this audience and those listening perhaps uh, on a device. Here's, here's the Lord just saying again, one more time, even in a modern day text like we are, uh, seek me and you'll find me. If you'll seek me uh, with all of your heart. You know, we, we have those ideas. Uh, Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while while he is uh, while he may be found call upon him while he is near so there's a call from God always through the centuries and even today seek me while i'm near uh, he says return to me here and i will return to you this is his final invitation do you hear this today but here's the here's the crowd here's the negative crowd in our day here's the here's the crowd that says that the one way is the wrong way the one way is Again, so narrow. The one way is bigoted. The one way is prejudicial. The the one way is just wrong. And there's all those who want to label that. And so they're going to respond by saying, in what way shall we return? As though these priests don't know the right way. You understand, this is very mocking and very cynical. They know exactly what the right way is. And we just sort of went through it, actually, in this text. They knew what was the right way, which means to me that sincere repentance unto the Lord Jesus Christ is the only right way. It's the way into forgiveness. We saw here that it's the way into being cleansed, cleansed of sin. It's the only way for eternal salvation. This is our way, you and I, in which we, even now as we stand here this morning and we together are are a part of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who've called on him. We look to the author of our faith, our, our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. We long for his return. You and I, we're longing for that right now. We, I believe we know that we stand in confidence and blessing because we've made those choices. And this text is really all about those who, who have not made that choice. But we've also seen those who are following him, the only ones who can stand are those who go through this process of the Lord cleaning us and saving us and setting us apart for him. Uh, I can imagine in the heart of Malachi, uh, whether it's a weariness of saying the same thing over again, so many of the prophets who would say what God wanted them to say and then were rejected. Today in churches, uh, hopefully there are pastors still preaching about the reality of hell and judgment and and reminding us that there is a way. There's a way that has been provided through the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And that is still the voice calling out. I, I, I don't know what it takes. I don't want to try to manipulate or uh, talk someone into following Christ because that doesn't work. Uh, but those tears that I watched this week were very moving from a man who used to say God didn't exist. And I just wonder if maybe someone here would say, I've always been cynical about these things. This isn't about our church. This isn't about denominations. This isn't about your past. It's about right now. And it's about God's word that we believe is real and we believe is true and we follow it. And I just call you to the truth of his word today. Jesus Christ is coming back. And when he comes back, and I believe soon, his return will not be in grace and mercy and love and kindness. His return is to be a righteous judge for all who would not respond. And so we're living in a day of grace. That's a day of we don't know how long we have. And then we see this example all over the place in our lives. And why should we treat God differently than we treat everything else? Eventually, Russia is going to attack Ukraine. We heard that, heard that, heard that, and it finally happened because that's what happens. Uh, Is Jesus coming back? Yes. 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 And soon. And I want to be ready. And I am. How about you? Lord, we praise you. You are real. Your word continues to call this invitation out. It also acknowledges a rejection. Your word is true, graciously kind. And Lord, you have called through the centuries and you've given so much time of grace. And we have oftentimes miserably abused the kindness of your grace, the mercy that has been available to us. We treat it as though it's an unending bank account that we can just take whatever we want. And sometimes we lose sight of who you are. And Lord, I pray that you'll just help us to walk in victory, but also walk in a reality of what is coming. Enable us to love unsaved people, love our families. Uh, Lord, help us to be your representatives in this world that is eventually going to have the lights taken out and Lord help us to be ready for the day when we will be taken away and uh, to stand by your side in glory and so that's a reality that just gets lost in this crazy world but Lord may we continue as faithful people standing with you in the days ahead Use us, use this place, use a new church, use all that you are doing and working through to call people to yourself while there's still time. I ask this by the power of Christ.